in episode 626 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Wednesday, January 9th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and it is time for another fireside chat, which means I am joined by Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? What is happening? Welcome to the New Year, Spore. Excited to be doing one of these again with you. Uh, Happy New Year to you as well. Yes, I'm very excited. It's been a little bit since our last fireside, uh, but we cooked up something real nice, I think, here. You know, uh, we're not trying to start the new year off on a bad foot. I wouldn't say (laughs) that, but we are going a little bit negative with it um, because we've been talking a lot about guys, you know, pitchers that we like and all that sort of stuff. And when we did the uh, PL Experts mock review, we kind of focused, obviously, it was our teams. So those were a lot of players that we liked. So it was a lot of, hey, we like this, we like that. Sometimes people want to know what do you what do you what are you fading? What do you what are you going away from a little bit? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I pulled the latest top fifty starters from the NFBC draft starting from Christmas through now, which is nine drafts worth of data. It's not a massive sample, but it's it's representative. And so we took the top fifty there, and we're going to talk about some of our our key fades, guys that that we're kind of moving on from at their current cost. Things could change if their costs drop, but I don't know that we're going to see stark differences from now uh, until draft season on a lot of these guys. They're going to kind of be in this range, which means we're likely going to fade them. So let's go ahead and dive right in and just kind of move down the list. Now, I don't have my first one until 16. Do you have anybody in that top 15 that you just don't like at their cost pretty much regardless? You know, I didn't actually notice this before, but I see Walker Bueller at 10. He's he. That is playoff, too high for me. Playoff fantasy tax, baby. I, I guess it is. I mean, with with Bueller, I I still don't. Okay, if I'm taking a, a starter in the top ten picks, I need someone that I can conceivably uh, well expect to go two hundred innings. Sure. I don't think that's going to happen from Walker Bueller. I really love him. I think he has all the the tools to be an elite starter in the game. It's just Dodgeritis, and they're going to be protective with him. Well, absolutely, I absolutely I believe he could, but the thing of it is with the Dodgeritis stuff is that they just don't have any reason to because they feel pretty good about their stead that they're going to make the playoffs, and so then they have to focus on having guys with enough juice for October. Right, and so it's it just doesn't it just doesn't make a ton of sense for them to really tax these guys, and so you look, and he got um, I think. What was it, like 162 last year? Did he throw any in the minors for Walker Buell? Let me see. Did he throw any minor leagues? I think he, he was there. Three start, actually, four starts, 16 so innings pitched. 16 innings there. So you go uh, with that, you know, you're looking at about 176. If you if you boost it a little bit, or 179, excuse me. If you boost it a little bit, um, what you should kind of do with the playoff innings is they say kind of do it at a 1.5, sometimes even 2. Uh, as far as like what that kind of taxes on the arm, but we'll do the conservative 1.5. You add that. I mean, he already had kind of a 200 inning workload. If you really think of it, if you subscribe to that theory about how much that, uh, that can tax you, I don't know that they're really going to push him up. It was 189. If you do the, the calculation there for Walker Bueller, I think he's going to get a 180, but I understand your point about, Hey, if I'm going to get a guy in the top 10 starters, I want to have a realistic shot at 200, and it's hard to necessarily see them turning Bueller loose, mainly because of October, not even babying him for health reasons, protecting him because they want to go hard in October with with Bueller, and so that becomes problematic. I do love him. I think his stuff is great. 
I, I'm not even super concerned about a sophomore slump because I think he is so good and he has such a strong arsenal that can hold up all year. But 10, man, that playoff tax yeah. really drove it up. He's over Carrasco, Severino, teammate Kershaw, Thor. Um, and I know, I know you have some considerations about Thor with regards to thrower versus pitcher and all that. I'd still but have be- him over Bueller. Between those two, I would take Thor all day. Yeah, and so definitely. that alone, it's less about dislike of, of Bueller and more about, hey, I can get somebody else a little bit cheaper. I'm just going to go that way. So I actually agree with you there. I hadn't labeled him. I, I guess I just hadn't kind of noticed him. I was snapshotting the top 15 there in my brain and I didn't really see him stand out. But that's a good call on Walker Bueller. Uh, what about the rest of the top 15? Anybody else that stands out that you're that you're really fading? I mean, uh, I surprised you with that one because I had the same exact feeling. I was just going through this, didn't even consider Bueller. Then all of a sudden, just noticed he was at 10. Uh, but uh, no, I, in the top 15 otherwise, I think it's fine. You, I think, have someone right after the top 15. It's right. It's Yeah, just outside the top 15. I do have a little bit of concern about James Paxton. Now, he's somebody that, that I have liked um, really since he started to break out. Now, the talent was always there, and it was just like, come on, give us some innings, and this can be really special. And uh, his innings concerns are are less of a concern in this era because of uh, all the innings counts coming down. You can have a really strong season with 150 innings. I'm a little bit worried about that gopheritis. And and if that 1.3 homer per nine is something that, that's going to stick, or even if it doesn't come all the way back down to the 0.6 that he put up from 2016, 2017, uh, you know, the 14.4 home run to fly ball ratio for Paxton isn't so out of bounds that it has to come down. His career is 10%. Even if you get him back to the 10%, you're still probably looking at a home run rate north of one or even right at that one mark. That can be worrisome in New York. I do worry about how the long ball is going to work there. Love the talent. 160 innings is a career high for a 30-year-old with a little bit of a developing home run issue. I'm just a little bit concerned. So uh, this trade, despite kind of raising his value because he's on a better team, has me a little bit irked. And I think I'm moving away from James Paxton as the 16th pitcher off the board around pick 57. Now, I wouldn't have him at 16 either. Uh, I see guys like, Tyone and Clevenger going after him, and I personally would put them both above above Paxton at the very least. Maybe even Zach Greinke as well. Mm-hmm. I I don't dislike Paxton. I, I think you're hit it exactly right. We should expect about a one homer per nine. I think next year from Paxton, uh, he generally when he's succeeding, he does an excellent job of getting his fastball up and into right-handed pit, uh, batters. This is something we see constantly from uh, from stud lefties is that they can hit that spot constantly. I mean, that's what Sean Mania, for example, was doing really well when he was having success. Uh, David Price has been doing that well in the second half last year, etc. I think he can do that again. Uh, that's something he's been doing for a long time. And he had some mistakes last year that got beat. Uh, generally, we, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, please. Uh, when it comes to Yankee Stadium, lefties generally fare better than right-handers. Um, with yes, with ball. that with that short porch, it's it's more favorable for lefties, which actually works in his favor as a lefty. I think he'll be able to stifle some of that working lefty right. lefty. So that yeah. that definitely helps Paxton to that end. There is also though the consideration, the fact that he needs to go to Fenway, he needs to go to Toronto, yep. and he needs needs to go to Camden, as Camden. even though they aren't, you know, Camden and. Uh, Toronto aren't housing the best teams. It's still sure, something to consider. But the one thing they do is is they'll pop exactly pop homers. Uh, so I'm not going to uh, pull back Paxton so much for this move. In some aspects, you could argue that wins are still a thing, and he will get a ton of wins. 
exactly. on the Yankees. So that kind of evens out a little bit for me. I see the 376 ERA from last year came with a 296 ERA. Does he still give you a 110 whip even with those long balls? Uh, well, actually, it doesn't surprise you to see that kind of gap because it was home run uh, induced with that ERA. Now, the biggest question, of course, is the innings. That's, I think, the biggest fear. I'm talking about it with Bueller, and here's Paxton, who had a career high with 160 last year. He's never made 30 starts. So those two things combined, really, that would make me concerned like you are, that at 16, yeah, I'm probably not going to go with Paxton either. And, and, you know, it's not that I'm so far down on him. I think my, my latest rankings and I'm going to have a new set up soon. Um, and just kind of looking at what I have recently, and this is not a hundred percent what's going to be posted in that update, but, uh, he was down at 19 for Pakistan. So it's not like I'm so far off on him, but two of the guys that you mentioned specifically are guys that I really like Jamison Tyon. I love Jamison Tyon. You're going to hear a lot of Jamison Tyon love from (laughs) the two of us coming into March. Um, I would not be surprised if his price started to push up. I'm willing to pay the price pretty much up until about like top 12 or so with with Tyon. I'm I'm really really excited about what he can do in a full season. And then uh, Mike Clevenger, th- those were the two that you mentioned yeah. that uh, they alone were why you were kind of saying a little bit no on Paxton and wait for one of those two. I like those two as well. I'm also a big Zach Wheeler guy, uh, but he's going a little bit later. You don't really need to push him up that right. high. Now you said uh, the 12, next one. Did I hear 12 for Tyon there? Is that what I was? I oh. I could pay as high as that. That's oh, not where man. he's ranked. But I, Score, I, I don't know if that. we've been as close as we've ever been in this moment. I, <laughs> I mean, he's so like, look at what he just did. Oh, it's so the good. season that he just had was fantastic. And he really discovered that slider in mid to late May really took off with it. I still think there's some strikeout upside and thus some ratio upside. But even if he just repeated what he did, right. And did it for say 210 innings, you know, or, or just popped, popped the 200 mark. That's a huge season. I, I just, I really like what Jamison Tyon is capable of. Uh, the fact that he got that slider is such a game changer. I liked him as is, as a real solid number two type. Uh, but now adding that slider, giving him a, a real swing and miss pitch, that's next level, man. He did 320-118 last year in 191 innings. I really think he can beat the three ERA mark and be kind of uh, 112 or below with the whip. And the strikeout's... There's there's strikeout per inning potential here. Oh yeah, twenty five percent carry is very much attainable. Exactly. I, so uh, I, I love uh, what what he's capable of. Uh, I mean, the, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I mean, I could talk about time for a very long time, but I, I don't know. I, I probably I think I think I'll have him right above Bueller, maybe at fourteen. I think that might be where he's going to settle for me. Yeah, I think that's exactly where I have him right now. Let me see. Let me go back to that. I got like fifty uh, XLs open right now. Let's see. <laughs> have him, dude. What'd you say? I said 15 14. above 14, 14 above. I have, I have them 14, 15. <laughs> I have 14, 15 right now. So oh, we are man. in lock step this, there. Um, this podcast is about people we don't like, right? Correct. So let's get back to that. Um, the next, the very next guy, 17th, uh, starter off the board behind Paxton is a guy we're both fading. And the, the reasons should be obvious. No one could deny Steven Strasburg's talent when he's healthy, but when does that really happen? When is he actually healthy? You talk about somebody like Paxton and the health concerns that he's had 
Strasburg has shared a lot of them too. Now he's had uh, a, a higher peak. He's actually reached 200 innings and he has uh, a couple other 175 plus inning seasons uh, under his belt, unlike Paxton. But he's also going into his age 30 season. That 2015, or excuse me, that 215 inning season is a distant memory back in 2014. And he's been at 127, 148, 175, 130 the last four years. And basically a mid threes, strong mid three ZRA strong whip sort of guy. It's like, you're going to like him when he's out there, but what are you really going to get? What can you rely on? It just seems like he's always in and out. And one of the things that he does that gets kind of gets underrated and it's hard to really quantify or even necessarily put a, um, negative value on this because it, it could be fluky, but those times that he comes out in the middle of the week. And so then you have nobody you know, because he has a two-inning start on a Tuesday, and his neck hurts, so he's out for. The, he doesn't make that second start that you had hoped for, and then you get nothing because you can't replace him. And that seems to happen several times with Strasburg. It can happen to any pitcher, but it seems to be his thing a couple years. So you can't even get the replacement innings that you could normally bake in the guys because he misses those starts midweek. So. It, again, it's a little bit of a nebulous thing, but it just adds to the frustration of having Steven Strasburg on your team. I, I mean, I'm pretty much with you here that I'm not going to go after Strasburg just because of the headaches that you've described. I uh, hasn't started 30 games since 2014. His his peak was 175 in 2017. Otherwise, it was 147. And when we look at Paxton versus Strasburg, I think Paxton has a bit more of the mold of, I know this might be shocking, but dependability when he's on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, Strasburg seems a lot more of a yo-yo to me, uh, going back in and out, than, than Paxton. who's like, okay, he's gone for two months or something. Fine. Exactly. But when he's on the field, you feel confident starting him every single time. Um, I will say that his 29% career strikeout rates is phenomenal for it's Strasburg. It's still alluring, and that's why it keeps Strasburg's value right. up. But I've seen I've seen Strasburg go, I even think, like top 15 starters, and I'm probably going to have him outside the top 20 personally. Uh, I think around 22. I'm debating if I want to go after Marquez more or less, but I, okay. I, I want to say Strasburg more, but that's another discussion for another time. I've actually got Strasburg 20 right now. And again, I'll still okay. be working on this list and, and post the top 100 here soon, an update. Uh, but right now he's sitting 20. Um, you know, just it's just such a headache is really the biggest issue with right. uh, with Strasburg. Uh, and then we jump down. Uh, Granky's next. Tyone's our boy. Uh, then we both kind of landed on Flaherty a little bit here. And, and you've got a really interesting comp for Flaherty that has you a little bit concerned, even though it can also speak to what he, what he can do on, on the positive side. But I just felt like this was paying full price for Jack Flaherty. Yeah. I, I love the season that he just had. He was a nice rookie season. You know, uh, sucks for Flaherty and Buehler to be the rookies in the years that in the year that they were because Soto and Acuna just were so far out in front that they never really had a chance at rookie of the year. Those two guys just uh, absolutely pushed away from those two, even though in a lot of years, those two would have slam dunked a rookie of the year award, both of them. So Definitely. Flaherty ha- had a great season. But I don't think he's a completely finished product right now, and I think we're kind of paying for somebody that that shouldn't have the kind of flaws that he has or the limited arsenal, and that's where your comp comes in for Flaherty. Right. For Flaherty, I mean, it's not totally fair, but uh, I often talk about Flaherty as being the new Lance McCullers just because he has this incredible breaking ball, 
And then the third pitch is not really there. Now, I will say the biggest benefit for Flaherty is that his four-seam actually was a very effective pitch last year. Sinker mm-hmm. was terrible. And McCullers never really had that dominant of a fastball over any period of time. At the same time, they both have these bad walk rates, near 10% for Flaherty. And really low IPS as Ings per start. Flaherty's was around 5.5. Yikes, that's a five and dive right there. Oh, that's so frustrating. That's so frustrating as a starter where you want... Uh, you want your guy to go and exhibit that 30% K rate for as long as possible. And that 111 whip, well, they're not going into or through the sixth inning, then you're just not going to get as many outs as you need, uh, face as many batters as you want. So the fact that everything was very beneficial for Flaherty, there's also a 257 BABIP and near 80% left on base rate that they don't necessarily buy into. Uh, that makes me think his 357 Sierra is a little bit closer and that right there, maybe it speaks like a 120 whip. That's not a top 20 starter to me, especially nope. when he's not going six plus innings per start. Uh, exactly. So it's a, yeah. uh, so hopefully he develops a third pitch that maybe it's that curveball. Maybe his four seamer is legit. It's just not enough for me to take the, the jump right now. Yeah, you love the slider on, on Flaherty, and he does have a, a strong four-seamer, um, but that's really all he's working with right now. There was a little bit of a home run issue as well. He was able to overcome it because he just didn't really allow a lot of hits. He had a 198 average against, and so those homers were a lot of solos. They don't really hurt you that much, but uh, you look at the the whip and the strikeout rate uh, at 111 and 30% respectively, and you still see a 334 ERA. It's almost like he, sh- he should have been better with those two metrics, but that's because the home runs were still there, and they kept that ERA a little bit higher than maybe it should have been when you normally see that kind of dominance. Also, the walk rate up a little bit at 10%. So I just could see a little bit of a, a, a sophomore backslide, not so much a slump or, or a complete fall off. But if Jack Flaherty went out and put up a, a 385 128 whip with all those strikeouts, would you really be that surprised? Uh, no. Yeah, not not so surprised. And it wouldn't yet. ruin your season. It wouldn't ruin your right. season either. But it would be something that, dang, I paid top twenty for that, and I was kind of hoping for something more. Uh, all right, moving into the uh, the next group here, uh, still top thirty. The next ten. Anybody stand out to you once you start to uh, go twenty one and beyond? I okay. I'm trying to remember exactly the person. I'll say in the in the. From 20 to 30, I'm pretty okay with this. If anything, I like the prices on these, specifically okay. Price and Wheeler. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the, the I, 27 price to 28 for David Price and Wheeler is great. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Bumgarner at 22, but I understand it. Uh, I, I think maybe not this year, but very soon he's going to go the way of Lester and Hamels, especially with sure. his fastball going down, and he didn't really have that same feel last year. It could be because of uh, his uh, tumultuous rhythm that he's been having with injuries, but maybe we do see 200 inning season from Bumgarner. I don't know if we're really going to get that near a three ERA, more like a three five. Uh, okay. And I don't see the strikeout upside that he used to have, especially now when we're seeing all these guys that are 25 to 30 percent. I see Bumgarner closer to 20 to 25. So 22 sounds like a little too expensive for me. Uh, but I understand. That's not unreasonable. Right. Yeah, that's not. That, I, I thought you would be a little bit more uh, negative on him. I, I find that all perfectly reasonable on Bumgarner. I feel like uh, a lot of the community has has gone to bury him, though. You're you're, you're preaching some perfectly fair caution um, with Bumgarner. I think I think the the general tenor otherwise has been 
run away. He's toast. And I don't really see that. That right. That's the I'm pushback that, yeah. that I'm on where I'm like, yo, chill. But at the same time, I'm hearing people say that. And then I see this price. This price doesn't jive with people being against him. So it, those, those people must be the outliers. So maybe I shouldn't say that the community is against him because maybe it's just a few analysts that I pay attention to that are speaking out because drafters are still saying, hey, He's 22nd for Bumgarner, and they're they're okay with that. Um, a guy I did have a little bit of an issue with, and this goes back. A lot of these are going to be because others are available later. Not so much that I hate the player, sure, but I don't like Fulton Evich at 80, uh, and then the 24th pitcher off the board, pick 80 overall. When you've got Price and Wheeler going at 98 and 101 respectively, Definitely. there's just no way you're going to get me to pay that. Now. Bias on the table. I might, I might still be a little bit sore at Fulte. I've admitted this throughout the, uh, throughout the season. Was I loved Fulte going into seventeen? He flopped, and so I was like, you know what? Maybe it's just not working. Maybe I do have to just kind of move on from this. Maybe he needs to be a reliever, and he's just kind of a solid number four starter. And then, of course, he has the breakout. So maybe I'm salted on that. And I, I don't want that to cloud my judgment, though. I'm trying not to be that guy, but I do wonder if maybe some of that's creeping in. But I also look and I'm like, he still walks a lot of guys. He wrote a 194 average against. That's not going to repeat. You just you just don't repeat sub 200 averages. He can still be good at suppressing hits, but but 194 is just so amazing. Uh, I just don't see that happening. So a few more hits go in. You pair that with the walk rate. That's going to translate into more runs because there's likely runners on when a lot of those hits go through. And while I do like the strikeouts, you still look at a 27% strikeout rate with a 10% swinging strike. That doesn't quite add up. Right. Doesn't mean that he can't keep it up, but it's definitely something that I want. I would like to know how he does it then. Does his, does his swinging strike rate really jump on two strike counts or, or is he getting a lot of called strikes? What's the deal with Fulty there? Just a lot of questions I have on a obvious career year that I think we're paying full freight for and I'm just not going to do it again particularly when there's other guys available who I like much more so Fulty's a no for me as the 24th pitcher off the board how do you feel about the uh, 26 year old brave I mean I see the next uh, the next four guys Marquez Mikolas Price and Wheeler I would all rather have than Fulty so I, I, I I'm too. in agreement with you there completely I uh, Fulte is very interesting to me. He's a guy who added a tick on his fastball last year um, and finally had a decent year with his heater after a negative 11 P-Val in 2017, according to pitch value, Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. Uh, But he also had an unreal slider. Uh, This is such an unbelievably good pitch. It was Um, amazing. We were talking about before about Bitcoin. That is as much of a money pitch as you can get. This was an 18% swing strike rate. 46% 46% zone rate and 40% O swing. It Gross. was killing it. 107 batting average allowed and over 800 thrown. I uh, so seeing, seeing that paired with that incredible or I guess better fastball is makes me a little more uh, encouraged by the breakout from Fulton Fulty. At the same time, everything you mentioned, hit per nine being super low, his walk rate at 9%, yet at 108 whip, his 251 BABIP. Everything does point to this being very much of a career year, a peak, as opposed to a plateau. Uh, so, I don't, yeah, I, I, I would like to have him. I, I see more like a 25% K rate. I see like a 3.6 ERA. I see like a 115 to 120 whip, which is great. That's really good. Yeah, that's but it's also playable. the first season he's had at 30 starts. Um, and hopefully he does continue that 
uh, but there's still going to be some rocky times ahead. And we talked about them a lot last year. I remember it was Newcomb and Fulty. They yes. were super overperforming uh, around May. And we both predicted we both predicted that they would go straight down. Newcomb did. Fulty we did stay on stay the right up. one, though. We, we were really hard on Newcomb. Uh, and we, we preached caution I mean, on both. But Newcomb was the one who really flopped. And that was where we were at mostly. No, I just I just wrote the the Sean Newcomb player cap last week, and uh, I was <laughs> I was not pleasant. <laughs> I mean, there's not, not a lot to love. I, I don't I don't like what the what the outlook is like for uh, Newcomb, and I think that he's being overdrafted too. But he's not in the top fifty, so we don't have to worry about Soroka, that. Soroka, Bryce Wilson, and Luis Gohara, those are three guys I would rather be starting if I'm a Braves fan instead of That's Newcomb. Totally. So, so hopefully um, that comes to fruition. Now, you mentioned those guys that you'd rather take, and while I do agree that I would rather take those next four, the the very next one is somebody that I would also fade at his price, but I would still prefer him over Fulty, and that's Marquez. I do still have some trepidation about taking a Rocky in the top 25, and um, maybe I need to get over that because they, they really, for the first time ever, pitching was their strength. And it was really impressive to see, and they had a, a diff- interesting range of guys. And if I just told you that pitching was their strength in a given in a playoff year, and uh, you know they were going to be a team that you really had to watch out for on the mound, and then I would have told you that John Gray was terrible, you'd have been like, that doesn't add up. I would have thought that he was a key aspect of that, but it was Marquez and Freeland and uh, some work from Tyler Anderson and Gray had a few runs, but overall he was pretty bad. But Marquez was the guy. Second half. Really, really, really went off. That third pitch, the slider, really came into its own and became amazing. It was probably a second half Bitcoin. He and that and the curveball really. Um, I do wonder though that just with the volatility of Coors Field, no matter how well you pitch, sometimes that park just beats you. It doesn't matter. Is he a viable top twenty-five guy with that volatility potential hanging over him? Yeah, it's it's really tough. Uh, you gave me all the fun players for the player caps. I, I wrote about Marquez, and I was very. <laughs> I gotcha. mean, my, my first line is: Is it real or is it fake? The answer is we don't know. It's true. Uh, we, I mean, there there are a lot of reasons for that 16 game run that that we have given of curveball locations or removed heaters in favor of sliders deeper in counts. Uh, it could be those things. It could be just that he got better feel for all of this. But it's a 16-game run with cores in mind, and that I, I mean, I agree with you here that I probably myself won't be owning Marquez because I do expect someone to go for him at. It's actually often more so like 20 or so, 22. I mean, we yeah. had our experts mock draft, uh, and he went in like the 10th or 11th, which is a great price for Marquez. But yeah, I, I'm inclined to go with you here. That uh, that I'm I'm probably not going to be going after Marquez just because there's too much volatility and the other other options. I mean, I have Zach Wheeler and David Price over Marquez personally. Um, I think they're just more stable options for the year ahead. So I'd totally. be I'd be surprised if I own Marquez. One thing that stood out to me with with Marquez was that even during the hot run. Uh, the fastball still wasn't very good at home. It's not like he had a good fastball at home. In fact, uh, it even it allowed a 1060 OPS uh, even during the, the the big run. And then there was a uh, seven home starts uh, for the fastball where he was at his very very best, and he still had a 924 OPS on it. 
So it's like even when he was at his best, the fastball was still problematic at home. I wonder if there's something where he even needs to dial it down further and really dive into the breakers even more at home and try to stamp out some of the volatility of course field but for me it's just why i can't quite pay that price i think i'm going to have it around 29.30 uh which is still you know very good for for a rocky i can't remember really ever well john gray i guess we were pretty hyped on well, last year i had him that's the fun the, thing that's what? the closest comp i have is gray is john gray and it yeah. makes me the similarities to john gray make me so hesitant yep. to go after marquez Exactly. And I think that that's that's completely fair. So uh, he was 25th. What about the, uh, the the next 10 or so? Who's who jumps out to you there when you go 26 to 35? I mean, the biggest one has to be Chris Archer at 35. Uh, How? I, I just it's, it's the name. It's the 25 percent K rate. Yes. Only 25 percent. It's not 29 percent like it has no. been. In the past, it went down to 25 with a 138 whip and a 430 ERA. Well, cause I, don't, I don't get this. You couldn't have gone to a worse team. No team favors fastballs more. And we wanted him to push into his slider a lot so, more. So I'm going to – this is a very interesting debate that I have no basis for. Uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if the Pirates themselves have said, you know what, we got to do more sliders. That's what Cool did. To. That's what Glasnow did. Cool. That's what Tyone did. Exactly. All they, all, they all – dove into this on it and pulled away from two seamers a bit so maybe and also musgrove i could add in there too yes maybe call. that is a thing with archer so maybe it's not the worst team i don't know i mean again this is very just hypothetical i have no inside information here i uh, but but yeah i mean chris archer it, it's i don't see the path to him all of a sudden being great again uh when he was at his best it was 97 at the top of the zone with this fastball and then using that slider. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen him feature that fastball up like that for a while, not even close to that same velocity. Uh, we saw this trend in 2016 and it's never corrected itself. Meanwhile, his third pitch is still not great. He's tried a couple games with the Pirates when throwing, I think, 20% changeups. It was so shocking. But yeah. I don't really, I mean, baking on that, that's the only thing I can understand. It's like, oh, if you think that. Archer has a great third pitch now. Fine, I understand this. But if you don't, then there's no reason to think that he's going to be like a 3-5 ERA next year with 25 to 30% K rate and a 120 whip. I just don't I don't see it at all. Well, it's name value that's that's driving him. And I think part of it, weirdly enough, because I've fallen victim to it time at times too, is the likability of Archer. Like he's got a good right. personality, and it's like they, they kind of keeps him on the radar. Like, nah, he's gonna figure it out. He's a good dude. He's 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 sharp. And it's like, hey, you know, no matter how sharp, there's a lot of smart guys who aren't very good in, in, in professional sports. And <laughs> I, I've made a case that sometimes you can almost be too cerebral and be in your head a bit too much. Um, you can't shut it off, especially like when you're struggling. Right. Uh, one thing that stood out and it was only 52 in example, so I don't want to go too wild on it. But one of the things that we might've thought would, would improve going to Pittsburgh was, Hey, he's going to cut the home runs. He's got PNC park. He's out of the AL East. It shot up to 1.4 from 1.0 with Tampa Bay. So even that didn't improve. So I don't know how you project for anything lower than four right now as a projection. Um, you can hope that you get a sub four, but if you're putting down a projection on paper after three straight years in the fours, I know what his FIP says, 
FIPS, th- th- this is where FIP fails, though, because uh, it neutralizes the home run rate. And I don't see any reason to neutralize his. He's had now three years of, of a plus home run rate, uh, well above league average with the homer to fly ball ratio and the homer per nine. You should not neutralize it. You should have him for a low fours for Archer. And um, I think you can replicate what he does much later than 35. I mean, if you want to go for strikeouts, then just go for Nick Pavetta. Exactly. Who's going much later. Well, um, I mean, it's only four picks here, but nevertheless, it's – yeah, just go with that. But it's, but it's almost 20 picks in overall. Oh, that's a good point. It's yeah, four great. pitchers, but it's 136 to 153. Right, right. So uh, there is that little drop-off there. The next guy we're not as uh, negative on be- with, with with why we don't want him there, but there, it just doesn't feel like there's any discount on Cole Hamels. And I, I routinely talk about how the uh, fantasy community is ageist, and they, they definitely are, but uh, for some reason it's not really afflicting Cole Hamels. He's going to be going into his age 35 season. He really surged with the Cubs, and the, the market's saying, hey, we acknowledge that, and we're going to pay for him. And it's like, that's a perfectly fair price at 138. I actually I don't hate it. I would just rather get somebody later that I think can can match or even potentially exceed what he's going to do that I think I can get cheaper. Even somebody who's only two pitchers away but 12 picks away, so about a round is like Kyle Freeland and I think I could get that out of him or a guy that we've both hyped up in the past and worried only about his injury issues. Eduardo Rodriguez is going 20 picks later um, and and five pitchers later, five starters later. And I'd rather take him. So Hamels, I don't hate him. In fact, I really like him. He's one of my favorite pitchers in baseball. Just like watching him pitch like who he is, but I just don't really want to pay that price because I think it's full price. Uh, I'm completely with you here. I'm not going after Hamels in the top 40 here. Uh, I will say, him going to the Cubs, those 12 starts, it was a .7 home run per nine, which is a stark was, difference to, yeah. his, I think, 1.5 in Arlington. Yeah, chopped uh, it in half. Yep. And then uh, also the fact that 236 ERA in that time is phenomenal. Kept up the strikeouts, about a strikeout per inning. He found his fastball command a bit, which then helped out his changeup and his cutter. So there are things to like with him being in Chicago. And, um, I mean, we were pretty much saying the same thing saying the same thing here we both like him we both think he can be productive but at 36 is too much risk this too this is too small of a sample to really buy into this for a full year at the moment i'm not seeing so much difference that uh in his repertoire innately to make me think that and it's not like he added a new pitch and that pitch is so great and this is who he is now uh, for me to really be convinced on this 12 game sample that i should be paying 36 Instead of, say, Tanaka, who's next, or Freeland, as you mentioned. Yes. So it doesn't really make too much sense for me. I got him pretty late in the uh, PL Experts mock, and I was I was really happy with that. I'm, I'm trying to pull that up right now to figure out where it was that I got him. It was, okay, so it was a 12-team draft, right? Yep. So 19 times 12, that's 228. I mean, that alone. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was the... <laughs> it was 238 because then you would add the 10 picks because it was the second to last pick of the 20th round. Yeah, that's And so he's great super that. fell in that draft. So that was great. Obviously, at that pick, I would take him. And I'd take him well before that, too. It just kept letting him fall because he just kept going. I was like, finally, I have to take him. But if he keeps continuing to go around this 138 pick, even his low of 156 is more tenable. And that's around Eduardo Rodriguez. But I'm still going to say, eh. It's around full price. So, Cole Hamels, we like. If the price falls, I'm jumping in. But as it is right now, meh. Now, Next there, one. Yeah, well, Go there ahead. was someone we did skip at really quickly. 
uh, at Charlie Morin at 31. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pardon me. I didn't highlight That's- him. I we, we went through fault. a bunch of names, and I did not highlight. Charlie Morton at 31, you said that you're a little bit cool on him. You like the skills, but but you're worried about what? Well, I mean, he's one of the most injury-prone pitchers out there. Correct. Um, before this year, he had never done 30 starts. Never. And he's 35 this year. Uh, 167 innings is the highest, second highest of his career, and the highest back to 2011 when he had 171. I... Uh, I love the skill set for him. 29% K rate last year was phenomenal. 12% overall swing strike rate, 1.16 whip. But the biggest problem for me is that I don't think you're going to get 167 innings. I would actually expect him to go down towards 130, 140. And this is just a career year as well. So three, let's say it's a 3-5 ERA with a 120, 125 whip with 150 innings. That's just... I wouldn't go for that. I would go for something a little more consistent at this price. Um, then more now, the argument of, well, the innings that you get should be of higher quality. Sure. That's fair. If that's the game you want to play, then all right, go for that. That's just not what I would go for. I think I'd rather go for Robbie Ray here. I'd probably go for J.A. Happ. Instead, I would consider, I would even I'd probably go Kyle Freeland over, uh, over Charlie Morton. I don't think that's out of bounds. Yeah, I agree. I like the skills on a per inning basis, but you are paying full price for the career year of a 35-year-old with stark injury history. Right. And going to a team that, um, you know, let's let's see what they do with him. Now, do you think that he is susceptible to an opener, which, by the way, I don't say that as a negative. That would actually give him a chance to maintain the 15 wins that we, you know, 14, 15 wins the last two years. Being part of an opener situation would help enhance that. But do you think that they're going to do that with him? Or do Morton and um, Glassnow and Snell get to d- start from inning one and then the other two spots are openers? Or, or how do you see that developing with Tampa Bay yeah, with really regards specifically to Morton? If I had to make a guess, I would say that he doesn't get an opener. If okay. they're really worried about his innings, you, I could see that. And then he goes about five and change after that first inning. But. I think they'll just let him go. I mean, this is what he's done for his career. He's 35. I wonder if there's something about like an unwritten rule that you don't use an opener for a 35-year-old. Right. A guy who's like pretty well established. Yeah, at, he's at, done this for start. ages. Like, come on, let the veteran have his game, you know? Uh, Although if anybody, we'll if there were a veteran that I think would be, you know, open to something like yeah, that, true. I don't know. He strikes me as somebody who's like, you know what? I'm out there to pitch. Right. I'll do, I'll do my five innings from the second to the seventh. And, um, you know, what? I'll, I'll do whatever it takes, but we'll see. I don't know. I only know his personality through whatever we see on TV. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> sure. Morton. Maybe Charlie Morton's a jerk. Who knows? Uh, all right. Let's jump over to 40. This is an easy one. Rick Porcello. We're just not paying. No. I, just, I don't even understand it. I know it's the, he's an innings guy or whatever, and he can accumulate wins because he's on Boston. That's all well and good. But part of the reason that that would appeal to me is because I feel like he should be available around pitcher 60, but it's pitcher 40. So it's like the market is not only fully acknowledging that, but they're also taxing it for some reason. And I'm just not down with that. So it's a firm no for me on Porcello at pitcher 40. And I know that you agree as well. Do you have any other thoughts on him? I mean, I had him, I had him like at the very end of my October update. It was, I think it was like at ninety or something. Yeah, you had him deep. <laughs> because I mean, how I see it, I see another four plus ERA that is in, mostly going to hurt you because this stuff. If you do this for a lot of innings, if it's not 
quality innings, then that actually pulls your team down instead of benefiting them. Certainly, especially um, in 10 and 12 teamers. Now, I will not discard the uh, the possibility that he has that 3-5-8 ERA like he did through the first 19 starts and 118 innings last year. It's possible he has that nice stress, stretch again. I just, I don't really see it from him. I think that he was overperforming in that time. Uh, his stuff just isn't that great, and he's trying to be that Kyle Hendricks type of great command, but it's too inconsistent for me to bank on it for a full year. Yep. It, it, there's just not enough there for me, so I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of this at all. He was um, 62nd in, in my uh, my latest iteration here, and if anything, he stays there. I, I don't know that, that I'll move him down anymore when I post my next list, but uh, Rick Porcello, 62nd. He's just not, not a top 40 guy. He, he can't. <laughs> Well, okay, so so my philosophy with making these is like there's a there's a moment when you say, okay, at this point, I'm just going to go with pure ceiling because mm-hmm. I can just drop him and then go to the waiver wire or whatever. Uh, for you, is is Rick Purcell a waiver wire guy or is he someone that, you know what, if you're drafting, he's at the end of my draft, it's okay to have him over the other options that'll be there? No, I think I would rather because I just find him – to be so bland. The one thing I do like is his whip is there. If you do have some of those volatile mm. Nick Pavetta types, I do think you can get him as a whip stabilizer late. Sure. So maybe if my team construction sets up for him, I know he had that 140 in 2017, but that's an outlier 101, 140, 118 the last three years because uh, the walks are really down and he doesn't allow too, too many hits. So yeah, that's about it. But otherwise I just, he's so bland to me. And I don't really see the. I know he spiked a, a Cy Young that he stole, and he had that that see. season. But um, I just, I just don't see it. Like we talk about these these, uh, you know, crusty glue guys that you and I have had discussions about. About you know, um, they do have some upside if you can if you see kind of their best. Like even a healthy back when he was pitching well, the, the guy who started it all, the Urban Santana, I would always see a better potential upside for him than Rick Porcello. For some reason, I just, Rick Porcello is like quintessential fourth starter for me. Like a very good one. Most teams would kill to have him as a fourth starter uh, or even their third. But for fantasy, it's eh, not there. It's just, and plus like, okay, 24% strikeout rate last year. Cool. 8.7% swing strike rate. There's some fraudulent stuff there, man. I just don't buy it. He's going to go back down to 20, 20%. So it's just a no for me. I did, when when he was a Tiger, I did think he had a lot more upside. And I think he started to tap into that. I thought there was more than this. But he did jump a level with the Red Sox. And, and credit to him for that. But he actually lost the ground ball aspect and, and to become more of a bit of a strikeout guy. But nah, it, it's, a, it's a no for me. I, I, I pass on him late. I, I go for... I'm trying to think of some of the names that would be in that area. Like even like a Josh James, I think I would go for over him. And we don't even know if he's going to going to have a starting job yet. Right. You know, stuff like that. I would throw in there. Yeah. I I think I would, I think I'd go for somebody like that. I liked what he was able to do with that churve. Um, I think I'd go for more of a guy who I like to clown, uh, Cal Gibson. I think there's at least more of an upside. Love it. Love it. You know, so proud Uh, of you. <laughs> uh, you know, go another guy who's kind of in that crusty veteran realm, but that I would prefer because I think there's more upside to him. It'd be like a Jose Quintana. Sure, I would take Quintana over Porcello. So I just don't have a good vibe on Porcello, and so he's an easy pass at forty. Uh, let's move on. Next up, uh, as we get into the last ten here, forty-one through fifty, 
this one surprised me. I, for some reason, I thought you were higher on him, but I, I, misca- I miscalculated on that. I thought you were like big Shane Bieber, top 40 type. You said you had him in your 50s, though. Yes. Uh, the market is excited about Bieber. It's- Holy Toledo. 42nd starting pitcher for the next Michael Pineda. Well, <laughs> Well, okay, so they see the 20% K-minus walk rate, and they see the 323 FIP, and they go, well, yep. here we go. Here we, we go. Got this, this is a breakout. Guy. The problem with uh, with Bieber is that he does have this electric slider that he hasn't even quite even seen the potential of yet, I don't think. He's not using it exactly right quite it yet. It was a money pitch. But, uh, right, and he's not overloading with it, which is annoying. The problem is that his fastball is really mediocre. What do you know? He's a Cleveland Indian. Weird. They don't have anybody. With, oh, wait. Everybody. I'm I have to that. think that they're like drafting or trading for this. This is like what they do. It's like a market inefficiency that they see. Right. Uh, but the thing about that fastball is that he gives in so much. And you see that 356 Babbitt, and a lot of people go, oh, that has to come down. And it might. Not with those will. pitches. Yeah, 330, but, but it's not going to be anything like a 280 or anything close to that. Bingo. And that's the problem is that he he gives in so much. Now, the good games that he had last year was when he actually had at least two walks, uh, a disproportionate amount of games that were two walks or more relative to uh, one walk or fewer were better because he wasn't giving in. He was nibbling more around the plate. Essentially, him and Clevenger need to make a baby. And that guy. Oh, would my be God. Great. It'd be the best picture ever. <laughs> if they could kind of learn from each other, because like, I've been saying the same. Oh, like we're in lockstep on Bieber because it, it is the Pineda. It is the Jeff Samarja thing. Stop laying 93, even a 95 mile per hour fastball. If it's as straight as an arrow down the middle on a three one count, uh, you're going to get clubbed. Just walk the guy and reset. You're right. good enough to get out of it. You can strike out the next guy or you can get a, get an out with the next guy. But they, they leave these wildly hittable pitches uh, in the zone in uh, hitters counts and it kills them. And and so you see the flashy walk rate. Sure. You know what? You could bump that up to 7% from 4.7 and you'd be that. a star. Uh, but as it is right now, you're just going to be a tease. Yeah. And uh, oh, yes. Tease. Uh, <laughs> that's. Another phrase. Anyway, I I see a 23% slider usage last year and about 57% fastballs. That, to me, is right there. People are not, or batters are just going after the heat, and they don't see enough of the nullifying slider to stop them from doing that. Mm -hmm. So if I see underneath 50% fastballs all of a sudden, maybe like 45% with that slider going above 30%, then I will change my tune very quickly. A 10-point shift, 10 but, points of fastballs thrown right onto sliders, I'm right there with you. And especially if you're talking about with that 77% walk rate going up, okay, then I understand this, but I'm not going to get him at 42 expecting that. Exactly, because we don't know if it's going to happen. We waited for changes like that from Samarja and Pineda for years, and they never came to fruition. And uh, I think they suffer from the same sort of thing where they gave in too much in pitcher count or in hitter counts, and it resulted in homers and and hit homers for those two a lot. His 1.0 homer per nine for Bieber wasn't too bad, but. A, gobs and gobs of hits and i agree with you the bad will probably come down a bit but not to the level that people are hoping they think it'll kind of meander back down to the 300 level if he pitches like this there's absolutely no chance that it will dip below three and a quarter 325 and, and also the fact that he throws a curveball 16 percent of the time and it's fine it's almost good enough but it, it's just not there yet 
uh, about 41% O swing, which is great, near 15% swing strike rate, that's great, but 35% zone rate, he made some mistakes with it, uh, 243 batting average allowed with it, it's, it's all just not quite good enough for him to be, yep. like if he had the slider and curveball were both elite, then we can look past the fastball a little bit more and he would do the way of the Kluber, but... It's not quite there yet, and I can't tell you that it will all come together in 2019. So I'm out of this price. It's just too expensive for Shane Bieber. I understand some of the excitement when you look at those metrics and what can be, but it requires too many if he does this, if he does that, and we don't have any indication that that's what he's going to do. Like We don't know where Bieber's going to go. So for me, there's just no chance I'm paying that price. Um, okay, so he was at 42. From 43 to 50, who you got next? Uh, let's see. I mean, it's the last three are really the ones that I'm questioning. Well, before that, then I'll throw in Glass. Yeah. Now I think I've made my my points clear on Glass. Now, now he, what you just mentioned about Bieber, if there's a change, you'll, you'll move with that change. If Glass now does actually have sustainable changes. I'm open to, uh, I'm not going to dig in just to be the anti glass now guy, but until I see something that's actually tangible with, with really um, cutting the walk rate and not just at the expense of home runs, right? Cause yeah, he did cut it from 14 with Pittsburgh to eight with the Rays, but then his home run rate doubled from 0.8 to 1.6. And I think those two things go hand in hand because he's throwing just more hittable pitches to avoid the walk and I love the strikeout potential. There, there is there is upside here, but again, you're paying full price. You're paying full price at, at pitcher 46 for Tyler Glass. Now he has to perform for you at that level. And just the guy right behind him, despite his injury concerns, I would rather buy Nate Eovaldi. Uh, but then you got three lefties here, veteran lefties that close it out. That uh, two of them I listed, and then all three you're a little bit cool on. And even number 50, I can understand being cool on him because. You're probably going to get like 115 innings. But let's start right. with Dallas Keuchel. Uh, we don't know where he's going to be. So that that definitely has some um, – that's a wild card factor. Is there a place that he could go that would make you happy to pay this price? No. Okay. So talk to us a bit about uh, about Keuchel. Yeah, the, uh, the, the peak of Dallas Keuchel was when he's sitting at the bottom of the zone and getting guys to swing either to right at the bottom of the zone day. or then chase it right underneath the plate. If you want a reference point, look at his game against the Yankees in the uh, ALCS of 2017. Yes. Absolutely beautiful. That would be, uh, I already have my Blake Snell uh, graph on my wall. Uh, that's his uh, strike zone plot against the Mariners. But uh, the one I would add would be that Dallas Keuchel one. Uh, but he's not doing that anymore. He even he even got to a point where he tried experimenting. Eno wrote a great article about Keuchel going up in the zone all of a sudden and trying to have some success there because it just wasn't it wasn't working underneath the zone. And the major thing is that his, his slider just got worse. Uh, his slider just wasn't getting the same amount of O swing or even swing and miss rates that it used to, uh, and it all kind of fell apart from there. If he's not getting those chases then they are pretty much going to sit fastball, or if it's a right-hander, they're going to you know, expect that change-up away. At the same time, it's a 374 ERA in that down year, 1-3 whip, 17% K rate, but that's not the worst ERA. I just need mm-hmm. to see more to to get me excited about possibly hinting at that 2-9 ERA, and that's not here. Uh, so I'm I'm staying away. I, I think this is too pedestrian, and I don't see enough to that would encourage me to think that he can take that leap back to his his ace that he used to have. 
I fully agree with that on Keiko. Um, this price is not exorbitant, but it just I just don't want to pay uh, at that cost. I will be interested to see where he lands, but I'm not sure that there's a team that's really going to make me fully change my tune and say, Ooh, now I have to have Dallas Keiko. Uh, next up is probably something of a similar case, uh, John Lester, where – we don't say, oh, my God, how are you paying? Like the way we are on the Porcello thing, we were actually stunned that he was 40th. I don't look at uh, Lester at 49th, a pick 175 overall and say, that's so egregious. Why would you guys pay that? I just don't really want to because there were some warning signs last year um, that he really kind of uh, – beat his his metrics for that era at the 332 with a 439 fit uh the 131 whip that's two years in a row now over 130 with the whip so that that's that's really damaging and he didn't have the strikeouts to kind of push back against it last year in 2017 he had a 24 percent strikeout rate that kind of offset the uh poor metrics this year it was all era driven that was the only place you were really deriving value from um from John well, and the wins, 18 wins, but that's not something that you can bank on. I just don't really want to pay this price. He's going to be 35. I, I guess I am playing it a little bit into the ages of myself. Um, it's just not for me. It just doesn't give me any any warm and fuzzies there. What do you think of John Lester? Yeah, uh, it's funny because the entire season we called it the great regression of 2018. <laughs> and then in the final eight starts, he kind of he earned it. He had a 261 yes. FIP in the last eight starts. But there wasn't really enough uh, for me to get excited about, not to mention the teams he was playing was uh, Pittsburgh twice and the Mets and the Phillies and the White Sox and the Reds and Brewers and Detroit Tigers. So that's not really something that makes me think, oh, he was really deserved all the success. I didn't see enough from his pitches as well that made me think that this is excellent. I mean, he did improve his cutter in that time a bit and raise his K rate to 23%, but his swinging, uh, swinging strike rate, 9%. That's not enough for me. Uh, so I don't really see enough, as you were mentioning, to make me think that he is going to give 200 or even 180 innings of quality innings again. Uh, at 3.32 ERA, as you said, 4.57 Sierra. Uh, it's just it's too much so of a gap. Uh, and to see that swing strike rate go down from 11% to 8.5 in 2018, that's too much of a gap for me to to really expect him to have a resurgent 2019 in his 35-year-old season. Yep. I, I just I just fully agree there with regards to John Lester. And let's cap it off with number 50. Uh, again, the uh, the reasons will probably be obvious with Rich Hill. Um, he's obviously continuing to get up there in age, and he's good on a per-inning basis often, but there is volatility. And, and so you're always there's always a moment of trepidation in the season, usually multiple moments where you're like, should I cut him? Because A, he's hurt, and B, he just had three starts in a row where he went three innings with six runs, and it's like, what the hell? Then you, you do cut him, and he goes seven scoreless uh, three of his next four starts or something because he always winds up with solid ratios, great strikeout rate, but it's for 110, 136, and 133 innings the last three years. He's going to be 39. I think there's going to be a point. It's like where people are just afraid to be holding the hot potato that is Rich Hill. 50, again, it doesn't strike me as super egregious. But I think I would just prefer other guys to Rich Hill. Even though, and this is a weird thing. And maybe I need to make an assessment then. Because I actually have him ranked higher than 50. And yet... I'm too scared to pay that price. Right. So I think I need to be intellectually honest and move him down because I don't think I'm paying that price, even though I think that 50 
is fair. So I'm in that I'm in that weird limbo spot. Talk to us about Rich Hill and your thoughts on him as well. I mean, it's as simple as I just do not want to endure the headache that is Rich Hill. I understand yep. what that's like midseason. And it's one of those things that if you are in a roto squad and you just stick him in and don't want to micromanage it, then fine. I understand going to Rich Hill. As someone that has had to endure Rich Hill in multiple seasons, I know the pain of trying to predict the right time to own Rich Hill and should I be dropping him? Brutal, dude. It's never going to go away. And it's, I mean, it eventually will go away because he's 38. Yeah. If anything, it'll get worse. Thing there is. Right. So, so, right. So, I just don't want to deal with it. And the thing is, 50 isn't like the, a bad price for Rich Hill. No. And I understand too, if you have a lot of 200 inning guys already on your team, Rich Hill works perfectly as your four or five. I totally get that. I just don't want it. I, I just, it, it's one of the rare cases where if there's something outside of what I actually expect them to do that I just don't want to touch them. Yeah, it's it's weird. We are just not feeling great about them, even though you can make the case that it's perfectly fair, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think we're going to be having Rich Hill and we might need to move him down our rankings because like I said, I actually have him 44th right yeah, now. I had him right so around there. Um, I, maybe I need to move him down or, I, or at least express in the rankings hey i have him here and yet i'm still worried so i don't know guys like it's just a little bit of a toss-up type of thing so i have one more question for you sport yes uh who would you rather have tyler glasnow or shane bieber Ooh, that's really interesting i think the fix to to uh, each has has something that they can do to make them great legitimately great mm-hmm I think what Bieber has to do is a lot more plausible and possible and even and there's also a luck scenario where if the if the infield defense like turned a lot of his ground balls in the outs maybe a, a higher number than normal and the outfield improved I know they they're going to have some outfield defense so Leonis Martin will be back you could see them protecting him a bit more because uh, walks are more of a self-inflicted wound, whereas a hit, hit suppression uh, or lack thereof can be kind of made up. So even if he doesn't fully grow the way he has to to turn what to turn good, um, there could be some protection from his team defense. I would take Bieber in this case. Oh, that's interesting. I would take Glasnow. Interesting. Go go ahead and tell us. Well, okay. The thing about Glasnow is that last year he threw about seventy percent fastballs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that did turn down a little bit at times as a race. Sometimes it was underneath 60%. Um, and those are great games because he was throwing his breaking ball over 30% of the time. I say breaking ball because I don't necessarily know if there is a difference between a slider and curveball. Yeah, it's kind of one of it's those like 81, hybrids. 82 for his curveball, 84, 85 for a slider. Uh, Sullivan had that great article about Corbin getting the most out of his slider, changing speeds. Jacob Junis, I talked to him. He does that a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. There are other starters as well. That I'm thinking Corey Kluber talked about him manipulating it, and same with Adam Adovino, that kind of thing. I wonder if that's actually what Glasnow is doing. But if he can throw that pitch 35% of the time consistently, which I think is actually very much of a possibility, that that could be incredibly effective. That's really the biggest change we saw from Snell was then favoring those breaking balls about 35% of the time, maybe 30% even. And that was one of the biggest jumps that he had because he was primarily fastball changeup before. Uh, and then use the the slider slash chain, uh, curveball as his third options. Uh, so I I wonder if Glasnow does do that fastball high breaking stuff down with less break on the slider, more break on the curveball, that there could be a lot more success. And I feel like that is a more attainable path for me than Bieber. 
but it's close. And I, so I was curious what you thought, because the way you talked about Glasnow, I had a feeling you'd say Bieber. Yeah. I, I man, I, I have uh, the potential to be super wrong on, on Glasnow. <laughs> I, I, I understand I mean, so that. So do it's I. Just, we all do. I just, uh, when do I we really it. ever see guys with this kind of walk rate completely revamp it to something that's, that's workable. And so it's always going to be hanging over and it's going to put a lot of pressure on his hit suppression to put up a, a, a good whip. Like, and he did put up a 110 in those, uh, in those 56 innings with the, with the Rays, but it's because he had a 207 average and he is difficult to hit, but 207 is, is something that I, I think it's difficult to say is going to necessarily sustain. Yeah, so, sure. um, 56 innings is great and all, but it's it's not a worthy sample. So I'm just a little, you know, uh, out there on, on not really buying in on on what uh, Glass now is doing with his walk suppression. You know what's, what's crazy? What? Between Bieber and Glasnow's 11 starts with a raise, guess who had a better K-minus walk percentage? I'm probably going to be Glasnow. It's 20% for Glasnow, and it was like 19.6 for Bieber. Wow. So, I mean, that is impressive because he can miss so many bats, too. I mean, Glasnow does have fantastic swing and miss. And so if he can if he can live in that 8% rate with the walks, that will be enough. I don't fully believe yet that he can because he's going to see those home runs continue to fly out and get back to nibbling. And I think it'll inch back up in the 10% range, but even that would be good for what he was doing. That would still be an improvement for glass. Now 10%, um, you know, can that he can then be kind of a, maybe a right-handed Robbie Ray type, which we've seen what, what that can deliver for a full season. So So, there are paths to success. Ray needed that curveball to be introduced. Yes, uh, he 100%. needed that second breaking breaking ball, and to use both of those pitches a lot. So hopefully, Glasnow to get there was under thirty percent as a starter with a raise. Hopefully, he can push that above thirty percent, closer to thirty five percent. If that happens, ah, I'm I'm kind of in, but I'm not. That's a big if. I mean, he's going to be outside my top forty. I think I had him just inside the top forty before. He's probably going to be closer to like around here, forty five or so. But I, uh, it, it's interesting. He's definitely one of those. I, I treat him like a cores pitcher almost. That's that's a good call. Yes, uh, <laughs> kind, kind of uh, address him like a, a course field pitcher there for for Tyler Glass. Now, guys, uh, put in the comments of this post if you prefer Beaver or Glass. Now, because I think that's a really great uh, either or there because there are such philosophical differences between the two, and I think it kind of speaks to what people prefer with pitching and, and the risk that they're willing to take. So, uh, there's our top fifty fades. Uh, let us know what you guys think. Anybody that you're fading that we didn't talk about that you are just way off on. Uh, at their cost and uh, go ahead and say whether or not it's because of who they are or just because of who they are, uh, what they cost relative to others. Because you noticed we had kind of a mix there where some guys we were like, nope, don't like these skills. And others were like, hey, he's good, but four, five and six over here are way better or, or we like them more and they're X amount of rounds cheaper. So uh, great, great job talking with you here. We will be back next week. We should be back every week now uh, as the season. I mean, we're, we're in the season. Football's yes. done. Fantasy football is toast. There's still the playoffs, but fantasy football is done. Those Stupid. of you who are two sport guys, um, you should be back with baseball now. We're going to keep you warm with these firesides through the winter and uh, we'll have plenty to talk about. And if you have topic suggestions, don't, go ahead and hit us up because sometimes uh, we're like, hmm, what should we talk about here? And uh, don't really land on an idea. In fact, this one was like 10 minutes before our scheduled time. So we pushed it back a little bit. Hey, let's get our list together. Bada bing, bada boom. Thankfully, because we can go off on guys so easily, we didn't need that much research. I, I just sent you the list. You're like, okay, I'm ready 10 minutes later. 
Yeah, okay. and so it was perfect. But uh, all right, Nick, I'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Yeah, take care, Spore. <laughs> <laughs>